continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount this morning. And we're going to be in Matthew 7, that the Sermon on the Mount is one of the largest portions of Jesus' teaching that we find together in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And so today we're starting chapter 7. And our passage in verses 1 through 6 has a lot of interesting stuff, and not that the Bible passages don't normally have interesting stuff, but we've got one of the funniest illustrations Jesus gives us as the children found out to their own danger. One of the most misused verses in all the Bible is found here, and also one of the most confusing verses is found here. And so there's a lot of interesting things to find in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. So if you would, open your Bibles, and we will look there now as we continue looking at Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrites. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the teaching of Jesus, the very living word of God who spoke clearly to us. I pray that you would make your word known today, that you would use me to preach it in spite of my own sin and my own weaknesses. Lord, may we hear it with open hearts and minds to receive your teaching this day, that we would grow closer to you, that we would set aside all sin, that logs would be taken out of our own eyes, that we would shine for you as holy children. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today we are talking about judgment and judgmentalism, and we're looking a lot at our eyes, for that is how we see other people, and Jesus also gives us illustrations about eyes. So what I want us to see today is that we should have discerning eyes that are sensitive to sin, first in ourselves and then in others. So eyes that are sensitive to sin in ourselves and then in others. So today I want us to ask, what is Jesus not saying? Since there's some misused verses in here. And then what is Jesus saying not to do? And then what is Jesus telling us to do? So what is he not saying? How is this being misused? What is he saying not to do when he says do not judge? And then what are we supposed to do if we're not to do that? So first, what is... What is Jesus not saying here? Well, that very first verse is one that is misused quite often. Judge not that you be not judged. See, there are many Bible verses that have been plucked from their context to to be used to say different things than God intended. That they are taken out and then taken from their context, and now they can say a whole bunch of different things. In 1 John chapter 4, we read the Apostle John write that God is love. 
He says it twice in 1 John chapter 4. God is love. What John means there is that God's character defines what love is. And yet we tend to pluck it from there and turn God into a mushy softy that will never tell anyone they're doing anything wrong. It gets pulled out of context. The same goes for Philippians 4.13 where Paul writes that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, Paul is writing that he can endure imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. He is not writing that I am a millionaire athlete and I think Jesus is going to help me win the Super Bowl. That's plucked out of context. Well, Matthew 7.1 is just like this. It's one of our favorite verses to misuse. That we take it often as we should not judge other people for being different. And so it's a common retort to any critical comment about someone's behavior or beliefs. It's that, hey, didn't Jesus say, do not judge, lest you will be judged? And so we hear that about uh, that we should not judge. And so our modern out-of-context translation of judge not is live and let live. Live and let live is what we hear Jesus saying when we pull this out of Matthew 7. But that's not what this verse is saying, especially in light of the rest of chapter 7, which primarily deals with judgment and discernment. See, later in verse 15 of chapter 7, Jesus says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. But if we're not supposed to judge, how are we supposed to discern if someone's a false prophet or a true prophet? How are we supposed to reach out and grab that sheepskin and be like, is there a wolf under there? How are we supposed to know the difference between true prophet and false prophet? Even within this passage in verse 6, we read that odd verse that really sticks out. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, Jesus is not literally talking about dogs and pigs. I hope we all know enough to not give pigs pearl necklaces. I hope that's understood. He's talking about people metaphorically here. So how do we know if someone falls in the category of those animals if we aren't able to judge and discern? See, if Jesus expects us just a few verses later to use critical discernment, he cannot mean Do not judge anyone ever about anything. We can't pull this verse out to make it say what we want it to say, which is never pass judgment. In fact, we all have to make judgments. We all have to discern right and wrong. We have to know if something is good or evil. I mean, a real simple way is we probably all get those phone calls and they want to tell us how we can lower our credit card interest rate. And you really have to be careful because I'm pretty sure some of those, they're not trying to lower your credit card interest rate. See, we have to be able to judge and to discern what is true and what is false. So if Jesus is saying here, not don't judge anyone in any circumstances, then what does he mean? What is Jesus talking about? Well, we need to look at the silly statement about the log and the speck in verses 3 through 4 to understand what he means by judge not. Here's what Jesus says. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, 
Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. It's a delightful illustration that pleases children when their pastor has a giant hunk of wood sticking out of his head. See, it's the picture of someone with that giant piece of firewood just lodged in their eye, trying to very delicately like, yep, there's something in your eye. Let me get that for you. And yet beneath the hyperbole that is quite funny, there's something darker there. The motivations and the heart of that person with the log in their eye, there's something sinister there, something sinful there that we need to look at more closely. So I want us to look at two ways in which there's something deeper lying underneath there. First, Jesus points out the focus of this person is wrong, that our log-eyed guy has a wrong focus. See, the overly judgmental person is always looking around for other people's problems. They're eager to find something wrong with other people. In fact, they kind of enjoy finding something wrong with other people. They like to be a critic. They like to criticize things. They get great joy out of it. This is part of what Jesus is saying when he says, do not judge. He's warning against those people that are so busy focusing on the sins of others that they don't notice their own sins. See, we can fall into that error if we're always criticizing other people. Maybe we're someone who likes to take every opportunity to chime in on something, even if we don't really know a whole lot about it. In other words, are you that person on the internet who comments on everything, even if you don't know anything about it? See, we like to tear things apart. Even if we're not well-informed, we do have an opinion, and we're going to share it, and anyone who's wrong or different from us, they're going to be wrong in our eyes. We feel a kind of sophistication, a kind of superiority when we look around at others and see that they're doing something that we think is wrong. And so we keep looking, hoping to find faults in others because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Are we like that? Do we intentionally look for problems in other people? Maybe people who are different from us. People who voted differently than us. People who believe differently from us. People who've wronged us in the past. Maybe it's our spouse that we're always looking for something wrong with them. Always something wrong with our children, our friends, our church leaders, our boss at work. Jesus is saying that if our focus is always on other people, looking to see what they are doing wrong, then our focus is incorrect. It is out of focus. And so he's warning us against that. But it's not just an incorrect focus. He's saying, secondly, that there is an inconsistency going on here. And that's what he says in verse 4. Here, verse 4, here's what Jesus says. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? See, we see a kind of double standard there. That this one person with a massive log in their eye thinks it is far more important to get the speck out of someone else's eye than to deal with this thing weighing his head down. It's a double standard. It's a false sense of superiority. Think of it this way, because I'm guessing most of us have never had a piece of firewood stuck in our eye. Maybe, we've been, maybe we do puzzles on occasion. 
They were sitting down at our table, and we've got a 1,000-piece jigsaw puzzle. And we're stuck. It's a hard one. You know, we're tough like this. We like to put the box away, but we've already looked at the box now, and we still can't figure out where any of these pieces go. And so someone sitting next to us says, oh, I got this. Let me help you. And they step away from their 24-piece children's puzzle that they have yet to figure out so that they can come and do your 1,000-piece puzzle for you. You'd look at them and go, uh, what? Uh, no, you can't do this. You'd look down at them and you're like, what? what is happening here? You can't even do that Spider-Man puzzle. And you want to come over here and do a 1,000-piece puzzle? There's a double standard. An inconsistency where that person thinks they are superior to others. Do we suffer from that kind of superiority? That kind of inconsistency? Do we think of ourselves as experts when it comes to other people's problems? Are we harder on others than we are on ourselves? Do we act like experts for problems that we still haven't fixed in our own lives, but we want to fix in other people's lives? Jesus is showing us here that it's not just our focus that is wrong, but we can be inconsistent in applying it. And he says both of these come from a self-righteous superiority that we think we are better than others and that we are in a position where we can judge others. And Jesus says, do not do that. And then in verse 2, he tells us why. And it's a frightening warning he gives us in verse 2. Here's what 1 and 2 say. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's like what goes around comes back around. It's like our Old Testament reading from Genesis 29, where Jacob, who had previously deceived his father in order to subvert sibling birth order to get something he wanted, was then deceived by someone concerning sibling birth order when he wanted something he wanted. It's like, oh man, Jacob, you you did not see that coming. What goes around comes around. The measure that Jacob tried to apply in his own life, getting what he wanted despite the rules, was then flipped back on him with the measure he used. It was measured to him. He had the audacity to be mad about it too. He didn't even have that moment where he's like, oh, I get what God's doing here. He just got mad. And he got two wives, which, yeah, yeah, he got mad again, I guess. But as frightening as it is that God can make those things come back around like that, the greater danger is that God will judge us with the severity and the standard that we use on others. That if we really think we're superior to others, God is more than happy to put that to the test. God is more than happy to say, oh, you think you're superior and you have a high standard? Let's put you up against that high standard, against my standard of righteousness. How righteous will we feel when God holds us to our own standards? See, this self-righteous superiority that Jesus is arguing against here reveals that we do not truly grasp the mercy that God gives us. 
that God has said, Jesus will take the righteous wrath you deserve and he will give you the perfect righteousness you could never earn yourself. And yet we're out here thinking that we are righteous on our own. Jesus is saying, do not feel superior. Instead, we must do something else. But when we hear that, that God will judge us according to the standard we use, we might be tempted to think, well, if that's the case, I'm just never going to judge anyone. And that way God won't have a standard to judge me against, and I'll never be caught in this, and that's just what I'll do. But that's not what Jesus says. That's an overcorrection. Notice that nowhere in here does Jesus say, never take specks out of other people's eyes. He doesn't say that. So he doesn't want us to say, who am I to judge that person for their speck? They've probably gotten used to it by now. They like it. You know, it would do more harm than good to take that speck out. That, that's not what he wants us to do. In fact, Jesus wants these specks to be removed, and we can see that in verse 5. In verse 5, here's what Jesus says. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Did you hear that? Jesus tells us how to take the speck out of our brother's eye. It's not completely off limits, but it has to be done the right way with the right attitude. It has to be done with care. So how does Jesus counsel us in this? Well, the example he gives is a really good example. Surprise, Jesus used a really good example. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his commentary on this passage, notes that the eye is the most sensitive organ in the body. It requires great care and gentleness to clean. That if you try to touch your eye, your eyelids will close to protect the eye so you can't touch it. It is very sensitive and delicate. And so sin in the life of a Christian needs to be handled just as carefully and delicately. That if we are going to offer criticism to someone else, we are approaching them as if we are touching their eyes. And so we need sensitive eyes. Our eyes need to be sensitive to the sin that we are addressing in other people's lives. And what Jesus tells us is we have to first remove things out of our own eyes before we look at others. Now, why is that? As we saw down here, there's a few reasons why. Because I'm going to smack a kid in the face if I'm turning around and looking with this two-by-four sticking out of my head. But I want to point out three reasons. He gets into this here. Why we need to take things out first before looking to others. First, if there's something in your own eye, it impairs your vision. I'm sure we've all had a moment in our lives when an eyelash got stuck in our eye and we can't see. It blurs our vision. It makes our eyes water. And so we're really down to one eye after that. And then we finally get that eyelash out and you look at it and it's this tiny little thing. And you're like, just that little thing made this whole eye unable to see. So imagine a giant hunk of firewood in your eye, just how much that would cripple our vision. Jesus says that if there's something in our own eye, it impairs our vision. So spiritually, when dealing with sin, sin in our lives impairs our ability to correct others. 
The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, in, in our terms, if, anyone, if we notice that anyone has a speck in their eye, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You who have clear eyes and vision should restore them with a spirit of gentleness. Paul is highlighting the importance here of our need for clear vision if we're going to correct others. We have to be able to see clearly. And if there's something in our eye, if there's sin in our lives, it impairs our vision. It's the first reason he says you got to take it out first. Second, by removing the obstructions in our eyes first, we show that we are genuinely concerned about the problem. See, that's the big problem in verses 3 through 4. The person with the log in their eye does not actually care about removing the speck in your eye. They just want you to know that they saw it. They just want you to know that they saw it. Because if they actually cared about specks being removed from people's eyes, they would have done it to their self first. Think of it this way. If you're sitting out to dinner with someone and you guys got the same meal and they're telling you how delicious it is and you just got to try it. It's really good. It's so good. And yet they haven't taken a bite yet. You might be like, no, I don't think that's true. You would question the fact that they thought it was really delicious. Like, have you really tasted this? You haven't even taken a bite yet. How, who are you to tell me how delicious this is and how much better your life will be for having tried it if you haven't tried it? Similarly, if someone tells you that you're struggling with this sin and you've really got to get this sin out of your life and yet they have taken no steps at all to get rid of that sin from their life, are they going to seem like they really think sin is that bad? That that sin is that bad? See, by removing it first, we show that we actually care about removing sin from the lives of believers. That's the second reason. The third By removing obstructions in our eyes first, we can appreciate how difficult the removal process is. We appreciate how difficult the removal process is. See, working with your eyes is difficult. It takes a lot of practice. I do not wear contact lenses. And so if I tried to put a contact lens in my eye, we'd be here all day. Like, I just, like, I have a hard enough time ever putting eye drops in, getting eyelashes out of my eyes. It's a disaster. I I can't do it. It takes a lot of care and practice. Those of you who do wear contacts, it's second nature. You know how to do that. So what would qualify me to teach people, oh, this is how you put contact lenses in. If I have no idea what I'm doing, if I have no idea how hard it is, if I don't understand what's involved in the process. The same goes for sin removal. It is a delicate process to remove sin through the grace of the Holy Spirit. And we only know how truly difficult it is if we have battled that indwelling sin ourselves. And then we can seek to help others. And we won't get frustrated that it's taking a long time because we know it took us a long time. And we know it is important to persevere and stick with it. See, we remove sin in our lives first to show that we appreciate how difficult it is to get rid of. So do we have sensitive eyes when it comes to sin? Are our eyes focused on the sins of others or on our own sins? 
Do we delight to criticize others or do we mourn over our own sin? Do we tend to feel superior to others or do we tend to feel weak because we know how much sin we have? Are our eyes sensitive to sin? Are we sensitive when we look to remove sin in someone else's life? Or do we hold them to a high standard when we should be showing them grace and mercy and understanding? See, the attitude of despising sin, of hating specks in our eyes and wanting them removed is an attitude that is unique to the Christian. If you look in verses 3 through 5, Jesus is always talking about your brother. If you see a speck in your brother's eye, in your brother's eye, you can help your brother. You see, fellow Christians can help one another because we have shared beliefs about how bad sin is. That we have Jesus to forgive us of our sin and that we have the Holy Spirit who seeks to root out sin in our lives. But that attitude is not shared with those who do not believe in Jesus. And that's why Jesus throws verse 6 in here. See, both dogs and pigs, as cute as we may find dogs, both dogs and pigs, according to Jewish law, were considered unclean, similar to Gentiles or non-believers. And what Jesus is saying there in verse 6 is that if we try to exercise this gentle, loving, brotherly care to remove sin in the lives of unbelievers, it may not go so well. They don't share the same hatred for sin. Their eyes have not yet been opened to see things the way Christians do, that sin is bad and Jesus has come to save us and we should live godly lives. And he's saying, though you are trying to do the best thing for them, giving them something holy, giving them pearls, it could get trampled and they're coming at you. This is a brother-on-brother, sister-on-sister Christian way we help one another. But it can be so hard to resist judging those who do not believe. It can be so hard for Christians to keep quiet when we see those who are not Christians in sin. It can be hard for us to not weigh in on any and every issue in the culture when we just want to shout, you're wrong, you're doing it all wrong, and we just want to say it and shout it as loud as we can. We just want to tell them that they're wrong. It's hard for us to not feel superior to those who do not believe when we see them struggling and walking around with giant tree trunks running into everything. Everything. We just want to help them. It can be easy for us to feel superior in those circumstances. And Jesus is telling us to slow down. Because it's in those times we need to remember how we would stack up to God's judgment if it were not for Jesus. Because according to his holy standard, we deserve judgment for our sins. See, without God saving us, we are like dogs. Unclean, unworthy, deserving nothing holy. In fact, we need to have the attitude like that Syrophoenician woman in our New Testament reading from Mark 7. That we are just dogs under the table looking for crumbs. We should see ourselves in this humble light instead of feeling superior. 
because we have a God who saw us as dogs under the table and didn't just throw us a bigger piece of crumbs. He brought us up to the table. He gave us a seat at the table forever and says, you are my child. You are no dog. In Jesus Christ, we have that gift of adoption that though we are not righteous and would fall under judgment, we have been accepted in Christ. And so knowing the beautiful way that God has held up both justice and mercy in Christ for us, we can trust that God will do the same for those who do not believe and for everything in the world. That we know a day is coming when the perfect judge will judge all things. And so we don't have to feel the need to jump in on any and every issue because we know, you know, God's got this. The perfect judge in the world has this. Now, we should still cry out for justice. We should still pray and long for goodness and godliness in the world. But it is not on us as a superior person to cast judgment on the world. It is on us to say, I was a dog and really still am a dog. And yet there is this God, this God who hates sin and hates how you are ruining your life. And he wants to offer you the hope and invite you to his table. There is good news for you. There is good news that this judgment does not have to fall on you. It can fall on another, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and that you can be a child of God. That is what we can share with the world. While we as brothers and sisters in Christ grow in our hatred of sin and through the power of the Holy Spirit gently and carefully help one another in our areas of sin, as we grow in the godliness that God calls us to. All to the glory of the judge who will one day look on us and say, you are my child. You are accepted in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us the hope of judgment. And as frightening as judgment sounds when we know how we have gone wrong and we know our sins, we have hope to stand in that judgment, not in our goodness, not in our belief, not in the fact that we've gone to church our whole lives, not in the fact that we've read a whole bunch of Bible study books. We stand because of Jesus. We stand because we put on Jesus' perfect righteousness and we know that is what makes us acceptable before you and nothing else can. And so, Lord, we pray for that day of judgment to come when you will set all things right and justice will be done and that those who are redeemed by Christ will be able to cry out and give thanks to you, O Lord, that you have spared us in the judgment. And until that day, may we be heralds of good news, saying that though judgment is coming, there is a way to be safe. Lord, may we be people of good news instead of condemning and judgmental people. May we love holiness, hate sin, and yet love our brothers as well. In Jesus' name, amen.